Sing it. that go we're going to shout the victory 
I mean, come on, you can do better than that. There we go. Exactly. It's a victory. If the Cardinals ever win a game, I'm going to shout for victory for that one too. <laughs> First Kings 8, 857 says, May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he not abandon us or leave us. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we know that you won't leave us and abandon us. Father, I know many times we wander off and we stray away and we kind of do our own thing at times. But Father, we're thankful that you are there waiting for us to come back, that you love us that much. And Father, I pray this morning that as we're gathered here together that we can worship your son Jesus for all he's done and all he will do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you today. We're here to worship. Amen. I'm going to shout some victories today, and I hope that, Jesus is, is, that you felt Jesus' victory in your life this week. This morning, make sure you fill out your connection card for us. If you are joining us online, please make sure you do so so that we can keep in contact with you. At this time, the praise team is going to continue leading us in song today. You may be seated. I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross He suffered, from the curse He set me free. Sing, oh sing. Sing of my Redeemer. 
I have a brighter one, by the way. I don't have the cool suits Jerry has, and the ones I have, I don't quite fit in right now, so I have to, I have to go with the shirt, so. All right. Well, over the next six weeks, we're going to be in the book, we're going to be looking at the church at, church at Ephesus, and to begin this series, we're actually going to go into Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19, you have the beginnings of the church at Ephesus. Acts chapter 18, the, the time period between 18 and 19 is about 10 years because Paul was there in the beginning of the establishment of the church, and he showed up about 10 years later to, um, in Acts chapter 19 on his third missionary journey because he established it on his second, but he shows up on his third missionary journey to kind of follow up with the church. And um, his first, the first missionary, excuse me, the second missionary journey was in about um, AD 52. And now we're in AD roughly 62, he writes this letter. And so in between the, the two chapters, he, um, he makes this visit. And actually, it wasn't, it wasn't 10 years between visits, it was 10 years since he wrote the letter. So anyway, sorry about that confusion. But the church of Ephesus is really an interesting study for us because when you, care, when you do a careful reading of the book, you'll find that the church, in the beginning particularly, was doing a lot of things right. Uh, the church appeared devout in their faith. They were well organized. They were busy in the gospel. During these early days, they had been growing, they had been expanding, and they had been doing God's work. Jews and Gentiles and from several ethnicities and nationalities came together to form one, one, uh, one body. They worked real well together. The church was multi-ethnic as well as diverse in its socioeconomic makeup. So it was really a model church for us to look at. And Paul, at the end of this letter, commends his, sincer his sincerity and his love for this church by saying this, grace be with all who love the Lord Christ with an incorruptible love. You find that in Ephesians 6.24. The church at Ep of Ephesus was, was situated in Asia Minor, and this is in modern-day Turkey. And he, it was a central hub of commerce and trade, its geographic proximity was near the Castor River. The city of Ephesus was also crucial for the Roman government because periodically Roman governors would travel to Ephesus to make decisions related to important issues of justice. Ephesus was also a very religious city because as you can imagine, it was a port city. People from all over the world would come and so it was the home of the Temple of Diana or Artemis. Uh, Diana was the Greek translation, Artemis the Latin. The temple was actually a marvel. It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, and 60 feet high. I mean, this was a big complex. In the temple was a statue of Artemis, who the devout believers believed that it, was, it had fallen from heaven. Eh, whatever. Ephesus was a major city, not just regionally, but for the world at the time, in terms of commerce, Roman power, Greek and Roman religions. So for our text today, we're going to see what I want us to see what a church making an impact looks like. Because here you have this little church beginning, you know, basically from nothing about 20 years roughly after the crucifixion of Jesus in a major city, in a port city, in a place that has literally worldwide influence. Now this church could have sat back and said, hey, you know what? We're going to kind of keep to ourselves because it's safe. We don't need to engage the community because to do so could cause us trouble. So we're just going to carve out our little niche here and just kind of stay there, but they didn't. Now, we're going to be reading a good chunk of Acts 19 today because we kind of need it 
for the context of the message. So we'll, we will be in Acts 19 today. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 10, and it tells us this. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul went through the inland regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples there. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They replied, no, we have not heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul said, into what, and, and, and this is key, into what then were you baptized? Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. So Paul entered the synagogue and spoke out fearlessly for three months, addressing and convincing them about the kingdom of God. But when some, of the stubborn and re, but when some were stubborn and refused to believe, reviling the way before the congregation, Paul left them and took the disciples with him, addressing them every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all who lived in the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So the first thing we're going to notice this morning is this. The church will make an impact by preaching and teaching the word of God. A church will make a true impact by teaching and preaching the word of God. Now, when Paul arrives for this second time in Ephesus, he meets up with some disciples of John the Baptist, and he introduces them to Jesus, and then he baptizes them. Now, what was going on here is these guys were kind of, they just weren't quite sure what they believed. And once Paul did this, this led to a period of three months of teaching in the synagogue. And see, if we're going to make a difference and impact in our community, we have to focus our teaching and preaching on the gospel. We can't let other things come in and, and basically dilute what we're teaching. We cannot allow society to dictate what we teach. We can't allow good feelings or bad feelings or I think or I believe get in the way of the truth of the gospel. Some people will say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. But really that can't be, anything for, that can't be any further from the truth. Some say, well, as long as you're sincere in your beliefs, then it's okay. But see, that's not true. A person can be sincerely wrong. With every ounce of their being, they can still be wrong. Your sincerity does not dictate truth. Here's an example. When Paul comes across these, believe, these people who are followers of John the Baptist, wanting to follow Jesus, he asks them, he says, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. And Paul says, okay, the first, you know the first thing he did when they answered that? The first thing he asked is, what baptism were you baptized into? And they said, well, it was John the Baptist. Well, and Paul goes on to explain, well, that's good, but John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was not about forgiveness of sins. It was not about receiving the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it couldn't be because the, old, the new covenant had not been in effect at that point. So Paul goes on, and he could have said, hey, good job, guys, and patted them on the back and sent them on their way. Because they're really sincere. They really believe that they're okay. They really believe what they did is all they need to do. But Paul didn't do that. He also didn't drag them aside. You fools, don't you know anything? I'm going to teach you the truth now. No, he takes them. He educates them. See, Paul was committed to teaching the whole truth of the word of God. He took these disciples over 
because what you believe does make a difference. Your sincerity has no impact on whether it's true or not. You should sincerely believe the truth, by the way. But Paul takes them aside, and he explains to them, here's the truth. Here's the whole gospel. And what did they do? We want to be baptized. He baptizes them into Christ, and then guess what Paul does? Then he lays his hands on them to give them the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, because that's how those were passed on. Those weren't passed on by baptism. And they started prophesying and speaking in tongues. Why did he do that? To authenticate his message. He wanted these believers to know that what I just taught you is true. Here's the proof. And by the way, when you see the miraculous gifts of the Spirit throughout the New Testament, that is always the way it was used, to get people's attention, to authenticate the message, because Paul couldn't pull out his iPad and say, hey, here's the gospel right here. He, he needed some way to authenticate it, and he did. In verse 8, then, after this happened, it tells us that Paul went into the synagogue, and what did he do? He spoke out fearlessly for three months. I would have loved to have been there, wouldn't you? That would have been amazing. I mean, this dude was preaching from basically sun up to sundown for three months. That, there's a master's education right there. But when Paul did this, he knew he was entering into hostile territory. Paul himself was a Pharisee. He knew going into that synagogue was going to cause problems, but yet he didn't shy away from it because he had a passion to make sure his Jewish brethren who had part of the truth had the whole truth. And believe me, these Jews were sincere in their beliefs, but Paul was like, I need to give them the whole truth. He didn't go in and water it down. He didn't go in and change it. He didn't try to tailor it you know, for their sensibilities per se. But what he did is he taught the truth fearlessly. He didn't care what was going to happen to him. See, if we're going to have an impact with the message of Jesus, we can't just stand in the churches and preach it. We have to be willing to go into the lion's dens of society and preach and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, we bemoan what's happened to education. We bemoan what's happened to government. We bemoan what's happened into the media in our, in our, in our country. You know why those things are all going down the toilet, circling the drain? Because Christians have disengaged. They've pulled back. Well, that's too filthy. That's too dirty. I'm just, and I'm, don't, don't hear me wrong on this. I'm not against Christian schools. I am fully for those. But if we totally pull the Christians out of everything, school boards, we're th fortunate one of our members here is on the school board, Sierra Vista. One of the best things could have happened to the school board here. But we can't disengage from society. We have to be willing to have those discussions. We have to be willing to go into those places and say, folks, here's the truth. We have to be willing to go into government and take all the garbage we're going to take. Because if we keep putting people in who have no concept of God, we're going to keep getting trillions of dollars of debt. We're going to see our morality go down the toilet. We're going to pass laws that say guys are girls and girls are guys and can do whatever they want. We are going to get this. What do you expect? See, Paul fearlessly went into the lion's den and he preached and teach for three months the truth about Jesus. He did not allow anything to get into the way of the gospel. He was a Pharisee. I know he had feelings for these people, but that's why he was there. He was passionate to see these people come to Jesus. He wanted nothing more than to see his Jewish brethren come to Jesus. But he didn't just pray about it. He did something about it. You know, I talked about this last week. We're, we're doing things for um, Compassion International. We're having a drive for that. We can pray for the little kids all over the world, but you know, you have a chance to do something for one of them or two of them or whatever. It does, we, we don't just sit back and pray about stuff. We do. We get involved. 
And Paul wasn't going to, I just pray my Jewish brothers, you know, I pray they come to Jesus. Now he did something about it. I pray the government gets better, do something about it. I pray the schools get better, do something about it. I pray about whatever, do something about it. Well, one person can't make a difference. Really? One person can make a difference. Jesus did. Okay, that's a pretty high standard. Okay, on the bad side, Adolf Hitler did too. Not good. Abraham Lincoln made a difference. People have made differences all over. And when we get into that thing, well, one person can't make a difference. You don't know that. That's an excuse not to engage. In verse 9, as, as this time went on, eventually there were people in the synagogue that were kind of getting tired of Paul because Paul says here they were, Acts tells us they were stubborn, which I think is very interesting. And so what Paul did is what was happening is the way, as it was called, it's a, it's a euphemism for Christianity at the time, was starting to get maligned. And the people in the synagogue, some of them, there was a faction of them that were starting to make it to where Paul realized that if he stayed there, and there comes a point if he stayed there, it was going to, going to cause more trouble than, than it was going to do good. So what he did is he took all of his disciples, left the synagogue, and went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, this was actually a genius move on the part of Paul. It would look like that Paul is like, okay, I give up on the Jews, but that's really not what he did. In the synagogue, who's in the synagogue? Jews. That's it. Gentiles aren't in the synagogue. Who did Paul also want to reach? Gentiles. Greeks, Romans. So what he did is he went into a lecture hall, and we don't know why it's called the Hall of Tyrannus. Uh, probably somebody that by that name owned it. And it was very common in Greek culture for these halls to be rented out to people so that they could have public, display, public discourses about the gods, about politics, about religion, about all these things. So Paul, in a genius move, says, okay, I got enough here. We're going to kind of move our church into the Hall of Tyrannus. And that's what he did. And what's amazing there is he did this for two years. I'd love to have been there. That would have been amazing to sit under Paul's teaching for two years. Paul, what did he do there? He preached the gospel. He didn't preach man's philosophy. He didn't get the latest self-help book and preach out of it. He didn't preach a God prosperity gospel because, man, I got to get a lot of people in here, so I want them to feel good about themselves, so we're going to tell them they're going to be wealthy, all, all this stuff. But he preached the gospel. And guess what happened? Years ago, I went to the Missouri Christian Convention, and I used to go all the time, and by the way, we loved going there, and one year, Bob Russell, and if you don't know Bob Russell, he was the lead minister at, uh, at, at, the, at the church in, in Louisville, uh, uh, Southwest, Southeast Christian Church, sorry, my, I'm getting foggy in my old age, at Southeast Christian Church of several tens of thousands of people. It started out with just a handful, and man, God blessed it. And I was actually in the men's bathroom, and I heard a couple guys saying, well, you know, that's a big church because he's selling the gospel out. So, and I thought, wow, that's really offensive, because what that says is, you think the only way to grow a church is to compromise God's word? See, I don't believe that. Do you think Peter compromised the word at Pentecost when all those people were baptized in the Christ? Absolutely not. Do you think Paul ever compromised the gospel just to say, well, we just need to grow? Absolutely not. It's not how it worked. And I just thought it was weird that these jealous preachers said, well, the only reason it's growing, maybe it was growing because Bob Russell could equip, was equipped to do it, and they weren't, and I'm not. But here's the thing. Huh. During that two years, guess what happened? Verse 10 tells us what happened. All who lived in the province of Asia, not just in Ephesus, that whole province, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. 
didn't hear pop psychology, didn't hear the latest trends, the latest fads, the latest polls, the gospel, the word of the Lord. And that's amazing. Paul making this move to that lecture hall, probably thousands of people, thousands of people through the, ten, through the, two, through the two years he was there, came through, heard Paul's preaching. One of the problems of the church today in whole is we, we want to be cool. We want to be popular, you know. I've thought about getting, and I'm not against tattoos, but I'm thinking about getting a flaming skull up my arm so it looks like I had a previous life, you know. I'm going to start wearing earrings so I look cool, you know. I saw some dude in his upper 60s looked ridiculous at one of the churches that he was online. I'm like, wow. It just didn't look right, you know. Um, God hasn't called us to be cool. He's called us to preach the word. Now, I realize if we look freaky, people aren't going to listen. I get that. But we don't have to be what we're not. We don't have to just try to be cool to get people's attention. The gospel message will get people's attention. The gospel message. That's what we need to pro proclaim to people. If we're looking to be popular in the world's eyes, we will compromise what we teach because guess what? The gospel is not popular. When you stand on truth, it is not popular. If you don't believe it, listen to what supposed people say about science now about the genders and all this stuff. You know, you're, you're called all kinds of names if you don't go with the flow of something that's so anti-science it's not even funny. The beauty of Ephesus was it was a major hub. And you know, when all those people would come in to hear Paul, guess where they were going? All over the place, all over the world. The message of the gospel was spreading like wildfire. Ephesus had the ability to make a major impact on the world. You know, I kind of, in a way, look at Sierra Vista. We're not obviously on a seaport. We don't even have any decent water within a million miles of here. But anyway, we, we have that opportunity because you know what? We've, we've got a port right outside at the end of Fry Boulevard. It's called Fort Huachuca. And what's really sad is since COVID, we have not had the impact there that we used to have. Man, you remember, we used to have soldier after soldier coming in here. And since COVID, that's just not happened. But you know, when we had soldiers come in here, and we have them in here, and God sends, or the government sends them elsewhere. God has a hand in that, I believe. Sends them elsewhere, and they know the gospel, they can spread it. They can spread that gospel. And so we have that opportunity too. But if we just say, you know, we're just going to kind of stay here and make sure nobody notices us and we don't get ourselves in any trouble, we won't have an impact at all. Paul's church made a major impact in Ephesus and all the surrounding areas. Let's look at verses 11 through 17. <clears throat> God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. This would have been cool to see too. So that when even handkerchiefs or aprons that were tucked, that touched his body were brought to the sick, their diseases left them and their evil, spirit, evil spirits went out from them. <laughs> now this is, my, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I love this. Jerry would like this one too. Some itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were possessed by evil spirits, saying, I sternly warn you by the name of whom Paul, Jesus, excuse me, warn you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Okay, these guys, they were seeing what Paul was doing, like, we're going to get in on this action. Now, seven sons of a man named Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. So a Jewish high priest's seven sons were watching what Paul was doing, saying, we're getting in on this action. <laughs> love this but the evil spirit replied to them i know about jesus 
I'm acquainted with Paul, but who are you? <laughs> then the man who was possessed by the evil spirit, <laughs> I'm sorry, jumped on them and beat them all into submission. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. He prevailed against them, and here's my favorite part. They fled from that house naked and wounded. <laughs> I can just see these seven dudes running out with nothing on. They're, they're bloody. They're beaten because they're trying to do what they weren't supposed to do. But anyway, this had an impact because this became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Fear overcame them all. The name of the Lord Jesus was praised. <laughs> the impact a church is making will be reflected in the lives of the people they touch. The message of Paul was growing. God was working all kinds of miracles through Paul to help heal, to get attention. In verse 12, goes into how powerfully God was working through Paul. I mean, even if a handkerchief touched him and it went to somebody who was sick, they were healed. Wow, that's amazing. In verses 13 to 16, as I said, cracks me up because these exorcists, these Jewish exorcists, sons of the high priest, they're going to try to emulate Paul. Didn't go too well for him. The evil spirit says, I don't know you. I know Paul. I am acquainted with Paul. I know Jesus. That man that was possessed jumped on these seven dudes and takes them out like Chuck Norris. I guess they took their clothes too. And these guys go running out in the streets with nothing on. Just crying like schoolgirls, probably. It was so funny. But this impact, this event had an impact. Previously, we've seen that Paul had been preaching the truth and love, that he'd been preaching and teaching. And when you do that, God will be with you. God was with Paul because why? He didn't compromise the gospel. God was with Paul because Paul was teaching what God wanted him and told him to teach. And he lived the life. He was willing to lay his life down for God. This event came known to be known, as it said, by, in all of Ephesus, by both Jews and Greeks. It caused fear in people. They're like, whoa, we don't want that to happen. I don't want to run down the street all beat up and naked. But you know what it says? The name of Jesus was praised. God used this event. And here is where I'm excited to take you on this journey through Acts 19, verses 18 through 20. Many of those who had believed came forward, confessing and making their deeds known. Large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books, burned them in the presence of everyone, when the value of the books was added up, it was found to total 50,000 silver coins. In this way, the word of the Lord continued to grow in power and to prevail. When we are willing to stand on the truth, when we are willing to preach and teach the gospel in love without fear, guess what happens? Repentance comes. Lives are changed by the power of the gospel. When we try to win people to Jesus by any other means in the gospel, repentance doesn't follow, change doesn't happen. And when this goes on, you got to realize this is in a very religious city. There's a lot of commerce around this religion. It was a lot. It was almost like a tourist. Uh, it was almost like a tourist setup. But it tells us that many of those who believed, what did they do? They came forward, repenting and confessing their sins. And here's more proof in verse 19. Remember what verse 19 says? But large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books. They burned them in the presence of everyone. 
And when the value of the books was added up, the, its total, excuse me, it was found to total 50,000 silver coins. These people, didn't, when they were convicted about Jesus, when they repented of their sins, they didn't say, you know, I got these expensive magic books here. I'm going to go sell them at the pawn shop, or I'm going to make some money on these. Nope, they burned them. They were willing to take a financial loss for Jesus, and they were so appalled by what they were doing before that that they didn't want that junk going into somebody else's hands. They wanted it burned. They didn't want their sorcery to corrupt the lives of other people. And they sacrificed as a whole 50,000 silver coins worth of books. Can you imagine? What if that were your whole library? I mean, I've got a pretty decent library. Most of mine's digital now, but I've got enough to buy. I would never, I don't want Robin to know how much I have in it, but I could buy a pretty decent car for what I have in all my library. <laughs> but the thing is, if, if it would be like me saying, you know, I'm going to burn all this. Because see, I could sell my electronic library, I can sell my, my, my non-digital library, get something back on it. But um, when I die, my son-in-law gets it all. But, but the fact is, they burned it. They had, it was so appalling to them they didn't want anything to do with it, nor did they want anybody else to. The truth of Jesus penetrated their hearts and their minds. And when that happens, repentance comes. And what they understood was that Jesus wasn't just an add-on to their life. There wasn't, I live my life here, I'm going to follow these idols, and then I'm going to bring Jesus and put him on my little idol shelf. Or they didn't say, you know, I'm going to get rid of all of my idols, but I'm just going to add Jesus to my life. They understood that it doesn't work that way. Once the truth of the gospel penetrates your life, you realize that Jesus is not just a part of your life, he is your life. And when that happens, things start to change. Repentance changes things. We hammer on baptism, we forget about repentance. When a person reaches the point of repentance, you know what they do? They do a couple things. One, they quit trying to mix sin in with their life with Jesus. And the other thing is they quit trying to rationalize their sin to saying, well, I know it's wrong, but it's okay. And they work on trying to give up those sins. They no longer make excuses. You may stumble with it, more, you know, because you're not immediately, a lot of times aren't going to immediately be able to stop things. It, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes, it takes taking it to God and continuing to work on it. But you see, when people have repented, they quit rationalizing. Well, God understands my situation. Yeah, he does, and he doesn't approve. Well, he would, he would no, no he, he understands, he knows, but he doesn't approve. When he says don't do something, he means don't do something. When he says to do something, he means to do something. When you go opposite of that, yeah, he understands, but he doesn't approve. He's not going to say, well, in your case, it's okay. Go ahead and commit adultery. It's fine. No. God wants us to do what we're called to do. People know they can't blend their old life with their new one. They know their life has to be new. And they can't keep trying to keep the old in with it. It doesn't work. And these people fully understood when they came to Jesus and they were convicted to the point of repentance, they're like, you know what? I can't bring this magic, I can't bring this sorcery into my life anymore. And they got rid of it. Verse 19 shows us what a changed life looks like. And you know who else knows about a changed life? The dude who was preaching to him, Paul. Paul knew what a changed life was. He totally sold out to Jesus. And he had a passion to see others do it. See, where's our passion? 
We have to have that same passion for people. And we have to be able to do it on the foundation of the gospel. And we have to stand on it. Let's look at verses 23 through 29 for a final thought. Well, actually, 23 to 25, I'm sorry. At that time, a great disturbance took place concerning the way. Christians, the church. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought a great deal of business to to the craftsmen. He gathered all these together, along with the workmen in similar trades, and said to them, Men, you you know that our prosperity comes from this business. A church making impact will face opposition. A church making an impact will face opposition. There were so many people repenting in this large city, turning to Jesus. It was affecting the lucrative business of Demetrius and other people that were doing the same thing that he was doing. So Demetrius, what he did is he's starting to feel the impact on his pocketbook, and he's like, I need to get some, this got to stop. So he gets all the craftsmen and workmen together in similar trades in an effort to stop Paul and the church on its mission. See, when we are preaching and teaching the truth, people will be opposed to it. It's just a fact of life. If we never face any kind of opposition whatsoever, either people don't care, we're not making an impact, a church making an impact will face opposition at times. It's going to happen. They're not going to like what you have to say because it goes against what they believe or it hurts them in some way. Demetrius, in verses 26 and 27, says this, And you see and hear that Paul has persuaded and turned away a large crowd, not only in Ephesus, but in practically all the province of Asia, saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. Duh. There is, there is, excuse me, there is danger, not only that this business of ours will come to disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as nothing and she whom all the province of Asia and the world will worship will suffer loss at her greatness. So Demetrius is a pretty smart dude. He's looking at the landscape and he's noticing, hey, people aren't buying my little idols anymore. I'm not able to send little Johnny to college. I can't get little Johnny all his Apple products because we ain't making any money. And so he's like, he gets the guys together and then he says, guess what, guys? This Paul and this church is reaching so many people, not just here, but in the whole province, We're going to go bankrupt, but then, you know, he has very insightful in this. He says, this great temple with the the statue of Artemis that has fallen from the heavens, they believed, nobody's going to believe it anymore. No one's going to come worship it, and she'll be rendered useless. Well, you know what? That's what the gospel does to false gods. Why do you think the Islamic nations, the Muslim nations, will not allow the gospel in? Because they will get the snot beat out of them by the gospel figuratively. Because the truth of Jesus Christ will win out. Do you want to follow a God who's, you never know if you can please him or not, or a God who loves you? A God who loved you so much that he sent his son. A God that's not telling you to send your sons and daughters off to die, but a God who himself sent his son to die for you. I have a, you know, in the United States, we don't bar religions. And I'm, and I'm glad we don't. Because I believe the truth of the gospel will win out. We don't have to protect the gospel from other things. We need to preach and teach the gospel. It will protect itself. But see, this guy knew that if Paul doesn't shut his mouth, if this doesn't end, 
this fake statue, I mean, this God is, will be rendered useless. The impact on changed lives from a church with an impact was changing everyone. And in verses 28 and 29, to finish up, it got very tense. So when they heard this, they became enraged and, and began to shout, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city was filled with an uproar. The crowd rushed to the theater together and dragged with them Gaius and Archelaus, the Macedonians, who were Paul's traveling companions. It's getting serious. Now, at the end, which we won't read all that, basically one of the city officials said, uh, guys, you need to tone it down. They're not doing anything wrong. And if y'all don't quit it, Rome's going to come in here and do something about it. Because Rome would leave you alone until you cause trouble. And, the, and, and Ephesus did not want them. When the gospel penetrates the lives of many, the many are changed. And opposition will come. If we try to blend the teachings of the world with the truth of the gospel... It will become so watered down that the message is no threat to anyone. Paul could have said, well, you know, I don't want to make these guys mad, so somehow we're going to work this Artemis into the gospel. It'll make everybody happy. But then you don't have the gospel. If the message is not the gospel, it has no power, no impact, no threat. The culture of Ephesus, of the Ephesians, I should say, was really not significantly different from the places that we live and the places in which we visit. Commerce was king. Economic stability could bring out religious passion, as Paul soon discovered. It was a pluralistic society with a multitude of beliefs. Paul encountered the Baptist, John the Baptist disciples, Jews, Greeks, Romans, devotees to Artemis. It was very pluralistic. How Paul handled it and what he taught the church in Ephesus was of great value to Christians today. The lesson that stands out is Paul's insistence on absolute claims of Christ over our lives. Paul existed for one purpose, to be an ambassador to Jesus. He would go anywhere and talk to anyone about Jesus, regardless of the cost to himself. The question that we have to ponder this morning is this, is Paul an extreme example, or do we lack conviction and dedication needed to see the world come to know Jesus? In other words, was Paul just a freak, or maybe we need to be more like Paul? This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. The gospel that Paul preached was a gospel that was good during his day and will be good 20,000, 50,000, a million years from now till the Lord returns. And that's a message that Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins. He did this because he loves you and that God loves you and God wants you to be with him for eternity. And if you want to have that blessed experience, we invite you to come forward this morning. During our song of decision, when we stand and sing it, if you've got a decision to make for Jesus, we'd love for you to come forward. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. And if you're struggling and need some prayer, if you come forward, myself or, 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 uh, or one of our elders, Roger, would be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision to make, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing.
While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many said to them this is symbolic language with a deeper meaning than the words imply Jesus was really saying to his disciples partake of me me identify with me each time we come to, this, to his table, we remember our acceptance of his gracious invitation to become partakers of his life. The communion observance <clears throat> is not simply a formal act. It is not a church rite, if you will. It is not just a part of the worship service. It is actually a renewal of the covenant wherein we offer ourselves to Jesus anew. When we came to Jesus and accepted him as our Lord and Savior, we entered a covenant relationship with him. In essence, we said at that time, Lord, here I am. I submit to you. Take me in as part of your very being. 
unite me with you. And so when we remember him in the communion service, we renew that covenant relationship with him. Once again, we say, Lord, here I am. I submit to you. Here before thee, Savior, we would lowly bow. Grant us now thy presence. Come and bless us now. In this sweet communion, may our souls be fed. In sweet consecration, may we all be led. Grant that this bread, now broken, may a symbol be of thy gracious or precious body bruised on Calvary's tree. Grant this cup of blessing to our hearts may prove one more tie that binds us closer in thy love. Pray with me. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the fellowship that is ours in Jesus. As we partake today, may we renew our vow of commitment that we made when we accepted the salvation bought for us by Jesus on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.
On the inside of your bulletin, we have many announcements. Uh, we do not have our elder preacher meeting today. Uh, Jerry's groups will be meeting. Roger's group is not meeting tonight. You know they were meeting without you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, we have our leadership meeting Tuesday. Uh, Al's group is meeting on Thursday. We have our Bible studies Wednesday. Narrow path, we're going to the backside of the Wachukas, so if you want to go, be here at 8 a.m. We will leave at 8.30, bring something to eat and something to drink. Also, the Sunshine Ladies are meeting on Saturday. The, the food pantry is in need of peanut butter and jelly, so you can drop those items off in the public room. Operation Christmas Child still accepting donations of soaps, combs, uh, soap combs, lip balm, things like that. Uh, Karenette's Walk for Life is coming up very quickly on uh, May 20th. Uh, the school system, this is a bit of bad news, is advised Pizza's Pantry they have to move to a different location before the beginning of next school year. So they do not want to move a large amount of inventory, so no more food donations after May 11th until the coming school year. So hopefully they'll be, I don't know where their status is on finding a place, but uh, hopefully they'll be able to. Also, uh, we do have, I'm trying to think, how many of y'all are going to church camp? Um, we, <laughs> we have church camp announcement in the bulletin, and if you have children or grandchildren that are interested, please see Jerry for that. I believe that's all the announcements that we have. Um, for those of you who missed it, the ladies had a great time at spa yesterday, and uh, they'll look forward to their next gathering. On the back of your bulletin, we have many of our we have our prayer concerns and prayers of celebration. You know, we're really blessed to have the congregation we have. We have so many loving people here, and just there are a lot of acts of love. Sometimes we see in the office that maybe other people don't see, and it's just encouraging to see when people step up to be there with for one another. We have a lot of special concerns. We're praying for health issues, for Kurt. Keep Kurt in your prayers. Ken is still recovering. Um, Ruth is in, um, in uh, life care. We're going to go see her again today. She's doing wonderfully, so hopefully she'll be out here in a few weeks. We have our outreaches, which is Peach's Pantry we're focusing on, on. Southern Mexico Mission. We've been praying for them and the work that they do. So at this time... Let's stand together. We'll have a moment of silent prayer, and then I will close this in prayer, and our praise team will lead us out this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you love us and you hear us. And I know just a multitude of prayers were lifted up to you for all the people that we've been praying for, all the situations. We pray that Peaches finds a new home soon. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, we do so with joy and conviction and a passion for reaching those around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody.